On February 9th, 2004, a young college student from the University of Massachusetts Amherst emails her professors stating she would be out of town due to a death in her family. Then, for reasons unknown, she takes a trip to Burlington, Vermont, where she is in a car accident. Though she's offered help, she refuses. And in the 13 minutes it takes for help to arrive, she disappears without a trace. 16 years later, monumentally large amount of media coverage, and we still have no answers. You're listening to the Mysterious Bruise Podcast, and tonight we bring you the case of Maura Murray. Welcome to a deep, dark, dank, moist basement. Ladies and gentlemen, if you've stuck a out... Fuck. Thanks for sharing. I gave you the mumbo. <laughs> My mic fell. That's what you get, bastard. I gave you the mumbo's. Oh, hell. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, I f- we finally did it. We've gotten to the 50th episode. It's our 50th episode anniversary extravaganza, and finally, after 50 episodes... We're tackling the big one. I talked him into tackling the case that has wasted, not wasted, but has taken more of our personal time than any other thing in this world than our job and our wives and it cut into the wives situation because i was told if you don't stop i'm going to turn the internet off absolutely my <laughs> wife too refused like maura murray the most famous case I, and I, some may say what started the true crime genre I wouldn't go that far, but I would definitely say it is the most famous. Well, I'm I'm saying from a podcast standpoint, not true crime case ever. And you're right about that, about the true crime podcast. And okay, people, just a disclaimer: this is our anniversary episode. We're drinking. We're, we're not going to do a whole lot of editing. We're happy. We're covering this case, but we will not. If we sat here. For 12 hours straight, we will not do this case justice. We're not even going to attempt it because there's many, many professional podcasts that have done a great job. Um, If if for whatever reason this is the first time you're hearing about this case, which I sincerely doubt anyone listening has never heard of this case, but if you haven't, trust me, there is a Missing Maura Murray podcast that has over 150 episodes. Tim and Lance do a phenomenal job. Phenomenal job. True Crime Garage has done several episodes, including interviewing her sister. Uh, there is a Disappeared episode. There is um, an entire, uh, uh, I can't remember what channel it was on. Was it ABC? Um Oh, no, no. Oxygen Network did a mini docu-series. Oxygen Network did an entire series on this. Brought in a retired federal marshal. 
got some they got a little bit of traction. Crime Junkie did a podcast on this. Every single solitary um every single solitary true crime podcast has probably done an episode on this. There's a book that we have both read called True Crime Addict by James Renner. True Crime Addict, How I Lost Myself in the Mysterious Disappearance of Maura Murray. There's an entire book about this case. There is well over 100, possibly 1,000 hours of coverage. I would, I would say it was borderline 1,000 hours. YouTube filled to the brim. So we're not even, the, the fact that there's so much information, we're not going to even try to do a comprehensive coverage of this case. We are going to give a background just in case people don't know. And then we're going to dive into our theories. And then we're going to, you know, it's, we're going to discuss how, probably the end of this, we're just going to discuss how we lost ourselves in this. Yeah. Because we we truly did. I've said it before, Zeb Quinn, which we've done an episode on, was probably the first case that got me interested in true crime. Because he was my same age, um, Graduated the same year I did, disappeared, blah, 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 blah. Go back and listen to that case. But when Moore Murray happened, Moore Murray's just a little bit younger than me. Probably in the same graduating class. I'm not exactly sure. But the reason that I think, and many people have said, that the reason why this is so famous is because it was right at the very beginning of social media. Facebook, MySpace. All of that stuff was right there when this happened. And not only that, it is in, it is insanely interesting because it there's so many unanswered questions. There's so many mysteries. There's so many dead ends that you can honestly lose yourself in it. And we both have. For sure. Yes, most definitely. <laughs> like my wife. And his wife, both. We can't talk about we it. We can't. In front of them. No, yeah. I mean, honest, honest to goodness, we cannot talk to our wives about this case because they have heard everything too much. They I even can't brought it up. Take it at a cookout one time, and my wife rolled her eyes, got up, and walked in, and said, "When y'all are done, just come get me." Yeah. Like. <laughs> so, again, if for whatever reason you're not fully aware of this case, this is definitely a starting point for you. And go in and really, really do your own research, watch the videos, listen to podcasts, and lose yourself in it because it's it's insane. And I'm gonna stay it, I'm gonna state it right now. Right now. I said it at the very end of our very first episode. More Murray is alive. I be, I will I believe it. This is not a crime it's not a true crime case it is a true mystery case but i believe in my heart of hearts more murray's alive oh shit we didn't do our shout we didn't do our five star reviews did we do the uh my personally i don't like mystery podcast last week that's eight no days. we have three yeah, ladies and gentlemen since it's our 50th episode we i want to go out and say listen okay I went on a little rant about more Murray, and I'll get back to it. But I'm really excited, not only for this, but some news we got coming down the pipe for this podcast. A little bit of good news. You'll know about it. 
and I, I am over the moon for it. But I'm seriously ecstatic. I just want to thank each and every single solitary person that has ever listened to this podcast. Even the lady that gave us the one star. I want to thank every single, I want to thank every Patreon taking out of the kindness of your heart to support us in that way means more than you'll ever know. I want to thank all the people that like us on Facebook, all the people that like us on Instagram. We have people, uh, Joyce, uh, Joyce Brandon, Jennifer Clickenbeard. Yeah. Post everything we post saying that, and there's other names that I didn't mention, but I didn't forget you. But they they share everything we share, saying my favorite podcast released another episode. For a human being on this planet to say that us, yeah, us too, are their favorite. They even podcast. Re- they even repost our micro brews. Yeah, like j- it's mind boggling. I can't believe it. In a year ago, we were just hoping that. Our, our parents, our wives didn't say, y'all are stupid, you need to stop. Yeah, like, seriously. it, it, it It's crazy, man. It really is crazy. We've had over 22,000 listens in a year. That is amazing. Thank you, each and every single one of you. Thank you for the people that pre-ordered their shirts. I am going to work on some beer glasses. I'm, we're going to work on some other things. We've got a website we're working on. It's not perfect yet, but we'll be releasing it soon. And, I mean, this is crazy. It is, it's bigger than I ever thought it would be, but it's possible that we could get bigger. And that is mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. So thank each and every one of you, especially the, la- the three people that have given us five-star reviews since the last time we recorded. Um, we got Jill Trail one. Five stars. She said, "Me personally, I don't like mystery podcasts that much because a lot of, a lot of the a lot of them seem like they are reading from a script and aren't that exciting. But my wife got me started on y'all's on episode forty six, and I love it. it. Keeps me awake on my hour drive to work at three in the morning. Keep up the good work, guys. And P.S. My wife just gave y'all a five star review as well. Thank you so much. And then we got one from uh, Directional Four. Five stars says being an art." Arkansas. Uh, oh, I don't know how you would say Ar- that. But she's from Arkansas. Arkansas. <laughs> <laughs> it's always nice. Arkansian, maybe. Yeah, maybe. It's always nice to hear a Southern take on things. These guys speak my language and tackle tackle highly interesting subjects. Thank you so much. And then uh, I couldn't pronounce this if I tried. L a j l a j l a J J D M J D M J D M said, I'm a lifelong true crime fan. I listen to a lot of different podcasts, and this is one of my new favorites. They do a great job of giving all the details as well as making me laugh. One thing I love is that even when they cover a case that another podcast has already done, they include details I've not heard before. Great job, guys. Thank you all all three so, so much. So our shout out. And this is a special shout out to Miss Nikki Latrell. Ooh, Nikki. She is from Huntsville, Arkansas. And some little birdie told us, Nikki, that you're gonna have a baby in March. Oh snap. You know, I've always been I've always said that coach is a really good name. You know, Arlo's not used a whole lot. It's, so you could you could name him whatever you've decided on and then two middle names and then Latrell. <laughs> 
I mean, that, I mean, that would be the perfect shout out. You would be the ultimate fan. But Nikki, congratulations. Jacob, congratulations. We want to wish y'all the best, and hopefully, and thanks for listening. Y'all will let us know when you have this little talk, and we will give him a, or her a shout out on a an upcoming episode. So again, Nikki. Congratulations, Jacob. Congratulations. Your life is about to change for the better. Oh, yes. And without further ado, we have uh, wasted enough time without it. So let's go. There we go. There we go. And since we, we've done since it's an anniversary episode and our our wives have given us the go ahead, it may end up being like the glitter episode again. <laughs> um, we're actually drinking two different beers because one, this is from Massachusetts. So I got the plain old Sam Adams Boston Lager in the can. Very delicious. One of the first two craft beers I ever tried. That in Sierra Nevada, Pale Ale. And on that one, we're going to do the Sierra Nevada Anniversary Ale. Sierra Nevada Anniversary Ale because it's our 50th, 50th anniversary. Just over a year. We've been doing this probably... 54 weeks. 54 weeks. Yeah. But man, this is our one year. This is our one year anniversary, man. Who'd have guessed that we'd have been able to stand each other long enough <laughs> to meet every week? To meet almost every week and do a podcast. All right, all right, okay. So that's all the news. I know. T- I'm just giddy. I'm yeah. just giddy. That's all the news front. Now, uh, when this episode drops, it will probably have already closed. But we are pre-selling our t-shirts. It's all over social media. So you, everyone that follows us knows if for some reason you just happen to find us on this episode, contact us. We'll see if we can work something out. I would like to personally thank Miss Sunny Johnson Ledford. She is our Arkansas contact. We talk about crowdsourcing. She contacted us a long time ago and she liked us so much that she sent Coach and I a t-shirt that her and her husband, their business is screen printing, and those T-shirts are phenomenal. And so we are going to go with her for our printing. And so if you are a listener and you have a small business and you would like to help us out, drop us a line. Piggybacking off what Coach said, I am blown away at the number of podcasts that follow us, that comment on us. And actually listen to us. Let's give a shout out to Barley the dog. Yep, she's going crazy. She's so excited. Barley the dog and Toddy too. All right, so let's have the podcast dogs, man. Let's get into it, man. All right, so go ahead. All right, so Monday, February 9th, 2004. After midnight on Monday, February 9th, Mara Murray uses her personal computer and accesses MapQuest for directions to the Berkshires and Burlington, Vermont. Supposedly, the first contact she had with anyone on Monday was around 1 p.m. when she emailed her boyfriend and stated, quote, I love you more, stud. I got your message, but honestly, I didn't feel like talking too much to anyone. I promise to call you today, though. Love you, Mara. She made a phone call about renting a condo near Bartlett, New Hampshire, that her family had vacationed at in the past. That call had actually lasted around three minutes, according to telephone records. 
the owner did not rent her a condo, but at one thirteen after that phone call, she contacted a fellow nursing student, which we couldn't find any details on that conversation. Around one twenty four, she emails a work supervisor at the nursing school faculty and stated that she would be out of town for a week due to a death in her family, even though no one in her family had died. She stated that she would contact the nursing department when she returned. At 2.05, Mara called a number which provides recorded information about booking hotels in Stowe, Vermont. That call lasted approximately five minutes. Around 2.18, she telephoned her boyfriend and left a voice message promising him that they would talk later. That call ended after approximately one minute. In her car, she packed her clothing, toiletries, college textbooks, and her birth control pills. When authorities would search her room later, campus police would discover most of her belongings had been packed in boxes and a lot of the art that was on the walls, like pictures and paintings and stuff that like that, had been removed. It is not clear whether Mara packed those up that day or in previous days, but police assume that she had packed most of it up between Sunday night and Monday morning. On top of the boxes was a printed email to Mara's boyfriend indicating that they had had trouble in their relationship. Around 3.30, she drove off campus in her black 1996 Saturn sedan, Classes at Amherst had been canceled that day due to a snowstorm. Now, one thing that we mentioned in the opening, or Coach mentioned, is the Oxygen Network's uh, docuseries. And it was that series, towards the end of it, that they actually released closed-circuit footage that showed Mara withdrawing $280 from an ATM. For some reason... The 280 to me is just weird. I don't know why. Why not 300? Maybe, yeah. maybe 280 is all she had. Maybe that's all she had. Yeah. But to I don't. It is an odd amount. For I don't. I mean, I have no reason to think it's weird. But for whatever reason, to me, that amount is very strange. Very strange. Just after that, she visits a nearby liquor store and purchases $40 worth of beverages, including Bailey's Irish Cream, Kahlua, vodka, and a box of Franzia wine. Well, Bailey's, Kahlua, and vodka is, well, Kahlua and vodka especially, but, you know, put a little Bailey's in it too. If I'm going to drink liquor, that's what I'm getting with a little bit of milk. Making me a white Russian, just like especially the, if it's cold, you don't, you know, it's something kind of. It'll warm the soul. It's a good winter drink. Yeah, I mean, really, I love. I that's my my favorite. Just like, and if you use marshmallow vodka, you need a shot of insulin. Just like Jeffrey Lebowski, <laughs> white Russians. Listen, no lie, man. My wife one time, she got the hundred proof Kahlua, one hundred proof vanilla vodka. And then um, vanilla milk. Oh, but that was some. That's diabetic stuff. coma. Yeah, like it was sugary, but delicious. 
Anyway. Now, there are, or there are, there was security footage showing her making those purchases of the beverages. And at some point in the day, she also picked up an accident report form from the Massachusetts Registry of Motor Vehicles. And we'll get into that later. She left Amherst between 4 and 5 p.m. And presumably, she took I-91 North. She called her voicemail around 4.37 p.m. And that was the last recorded use of her cell phone. To date, there has been no indication she informed anyone of her destination or any evidence that she had chosen a destination. So around 7 p.m. or a little after, a Woodsville, New Hampshire resident heard a loud thump outside of her house. Through her window, she could see a car up against a snowbank along Route 112, also known as the Wild Amanosic Road, and I butchered that, but that's okay. The car was pointing west on the eastbound side of the road. The woman telephoned the Grafton County Sheriff's Department at 7.27 p.m. to report the accident. According to the 911 log, the woman claimed to have seen a man smoking a cigarette inside the car. However, she later stated that she had not seen a man nor a person smoking a cigarette, but rather had seen what appeared to be a red light glowing from inside the car, potentially from a cell phone. At about the same time, another neighbor saw the car as well as someone walking around the vehicle. She witnessed a third neighbor pull up alongside the vehicle. Now, that neighbor just happened to pull up in a school bus, and he was returning home from his route and he noticed that the young woman Mora was not bleeding was not visibly injured but was cold and shivering he offered to telephone for help she asked him not to call the police and there's one police report that he filed or witness statement that he that was taken that says that she actually pleaded with him not to call the police and assured him she had already called AAA even though AAA has no record of a phone call. Knowing there was no cellular reception in the area, the bus driver continued home and called the police. Now, continuing home is roughly less than 50 yards. Yeah, there was no call to AAA. As a matter of fact, um, phone records indicate that at 4.37 p.m., the last, use of her, the last use of her cell phone was her calling to check her own voicemail. Right. Now, the, the bus driver himself is going to say that he doesn't blame Mora for not accepting a ride with him. He's a big dude, big hairy man. Big long beard, big, middle of the night. Yeah, well, not middle of the night. I mean, well, it's, I mean, it's I mean, getting, like middle of the night. It's, it's dark. Getting dark. It's winter in New Hampshire. It's yeah, dark, 730. 7.30. Yeah, it's getting dark. Probably is dark. So he doesn't blame her for not accepting. But yeah, he definitely thought something was up because... Yeah. That's the middle of damn nowhere in 2004. There ain't no cell service. So he parks his bus, and then he makes his call, and the sheriff's department receives his call at 743. He was unable to see Mara's car while he made the call, but did notice several cars pass on the road before the police arrived. Another resident driving home from work claims she passed the scene around 737 and saw a police SUV parked face-to-face with Murray's car. She pulled over briefly, didn't see anyone inside or outside the cars, decided to continue on home since law enforcement was there. Now, this witness's claim contradicts the official police log, which Haverhill Police state, according to the official log, 
officers didn't arrive until nine minutes later. So at 7.46 p.m., police arrived on the scene. No one was inside or near the car. The car had impacted a tree on the driver's side of the vehicle, severely damaging the left headlight and pushed the car's radiator into the fan, rendering it inoperable. The car's windshield was cracked on the driver's side and both airbags had deployed. However, the car was locked. Inside and outside of the car, the officer notices stains that looked like it was red wine. Inside the car, the officer found an empty beer bottle, a damaged box of Franzia wine on the rear seat. He also found a AAA card issued to Mora, blank accident report forms, gloves, compact disc, makeup, diamond jewelry, driving directions from MapQuest, her favorite stuffed animal, and a book about mountain, climb mountain climbing in the White Mountains titled Not Without Peril. What was missing was Mora's debit card, all of her credit cards, and her cell phone, none of which have ever been located. Uh, yeah, and also they're going to find a Coca-Cola bottle with a liquid in it that's going to smell alcoholic, meaning it's most likely the wine. But what is missing from that is the Baileys, the Kahlua, and the vodka. Oh, really? Really? Mm-hmm. How did I not know that? It's because of my award-winning research. Well, I didn't do any research. <laughs> yeah, we're running most of it off in memory. Yeah, for, I honestly didn't really have to do much research to be in full disclosure here. Now, the Quincy, Massachusetts Patriot Ledger actually wrote an article by journalist Joe McGee summarizing the incident. And the article says, and I quote, at a hairpin turn, she went off the road, her car hit a tree. At that point, a person came along who was driving a bus. It was a neighbor. He asked her if she needed help. She refused. About 10 minutes later, police show up to the scene, and Mar Murray was gone. Yeah, and the car itself, something very strange about the car itself is there's going to be a rag stuffed into the muffler pipe. The rag is believed to be in part of been part of uh, Mora, good Lord, Mora's emergency roadside kit. Very strange. Very, very, very interesting. And then there's also going to be a alleged sighting of Mora. Between 8 and 8.30, a contractor who's going to be returning home is going to see a young person moving quickly on foot eastbound on Route 112, about four to five miles east of where her vehicle was discovered. He noted that the young person was wearing jeans, a dark coat, and had light, a, a light-colored hood. He did not report it to police immediately due to his own confusion of the dates. He discovered three months later that he had spotted the young person the same night Mora uh, disappeared. And so three months later, he's going to report it to the police. <laughs> All right, so the initial investigation begins in February. On uh, February 10th, at approximately 12.36, there was a bolo for Mora issued. She was reported to be wearing a dark coat, jeans, and a black backpack. A voicemail was left on her father's home answering machine around 3.20, stating that her car had been found abandoned. Now... Fred Murray, her father, was working out of state and did not receive the call. At 5 p.m., Mara's older sister contacted her father to tell him what was going on. He then contacted the Haverhill Police Department 
and was told that if Murray was not reported safe by the following morning, the New Hampshire Fish and Game Department would start a search. At approximately 5.17 p.m., Mara was first referred to as a missing person by the Haverhill Police Department. Now, if this is new to you, you would kind of be like, why is the fishing game called? In a lot of those northern states, the fishing game are tasked with a lot of search and rescue. So two days later, after the accident, at approximately 8 a.m., Fred Murray and uh, Mora's sisters would arrive before dawn in Haverhill. They began to search. Police dogs tracked the scent of Mara uh, 100 yards east from where the vehicle had been discovered, but all of a sudden, the scent's gone. Now, this would lead you to believe that if her scent just disappears in the middle of the road, she got into another vehicle. At around 5 p.m., Mara's boyfriend, Bill Roush, and his parents arrive in Haverhill. He was questioned by police in private, and then his parents were also questioned. At around 7 p.m., the police stated that they believed Mara had came to the area to either A, run away, or B, commit suicide. Her family adamantly deny both of those possibilities. Now, Bill would turn off his cell phone during his flight to Haverhill. That's well, nothing he, to like really raise a red flag about. I mean, he's on a plane. It's on a plane. He's not going to get any signal anyway. And it's 2004. Well, we, 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 we haven't even introduced who Bill is yet. Did you? Where was I? Over there on your phone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he is hurt. What, let's do, we will go about a little bit about backstory. Guilty. <laughs> <laughs> he is her boyfriend, and they actually had met when they were both at West Point. She was a freshman. He was a junior mm -hmm. and was actually introduced to one another by Mara's sister. Yes. Getting back to his phone. Yeah, it's, he's on a plane. He's not going to have any signal anyway, so it's definitely not strange he turns his phone off. What is strange is once he turns his phone on, he states that he had received a voicemail that he believed was the sound of Mara sobbing. Yes. The call was traced to a calling card issued by the American Red Cross. That Bill uh, Bill's mother had actually bought for her, um, if I remember correctly. And I, I read some things about, well, how did he know? Who, I, how, you know. Yeah. If I, if I called Coach crying. I probably wouldn't know it was you. <laughs> I would probably say something, but um, let's go even. If it was my wife. Or if it was your immediate family, mother, sister. Yeah. Somebody that I was very close with. You know. You're going to know. Yeah. I believe 100% that Bill is right, and it was her on the phone weeping. She never said anything. The thing is, is since it was a calling card, that was not a butt dial. That was a had to punch it in. Yeah, so like you're saying, okay, she was in distress, somebody kidnapped her, and whatever. And if you're older than, how old are you? 38. If you're older than 35, <laughs> you know what a long-distance calling card is. When I would travel, yeah. when I was in college, my parents had a calling card that mm -hmm. if I walk to a payphone, I type in the 800 number, mm -hmm. type in a code, 
type in the number, mm-hmm. and I got to them. So Dude. this is not anything abnormal. This is a get, you know, this is yeah. a you don't have change for a payphone deal. Yeah, because kiddos back in the day, they wasn't no cell phone service. Cell phones were expensive as all hell. And was the size of a laptop. The roaming charges in 2000 to 2005 would bankrupt a mere mortal. Yeah. When I was in college, my first 2 years in college in 2000 2001, I lived I was I was in near Nashville. And I'd have to drive home from, I'd drive from my home in Georgia to Nashville. My mom would be like, you make sure you call me and let you know you got home safe. And this is how that call would go. I'd dial the 1-800-CALL-ATT or whatever yep, that number that's was. exactly it, man. And it would say, you have a collect call from, and I said, I made it home, I'm safe. Yep. <laughs> Press one to accept the charges. And my mom would go, nope. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, this was not a butt dial. This was not an accident that she called Bill. She called Bill for a reason. Purposefully, yes. And, but was either too emotionally distraught to say anything or something was really going on and she couldn't say anything. But she purposely dialed that number. So, three days after the accident, on February the 12th, Fred, Bill... And Mara's sisters held an evening press conference near the town of Bethlehem, New Hampshire. And the next day, February 13th, was the first press coverage in this case. Around 3.05 p.m., the police reported Mara might be headed to the Kinkamagus Highway. (laughs) And she was listed as endangered and possibly suicidal. They would also state that she was intoxicated at the crash site, even though the bus driver had said that she did not appear impaired. The Haverhill police chief would go on record stating, our concern is that she is upset or suicidal. See, that is a a big leap for them to say she was intoxicated. Yeah, they they found... There's circumstantial evidence of liquor and stuff like that, but... Well, they found, you know, the the Coca-Cola bottle that had some wine in it, but... Just because you may have taken a few sips does not mean you're intoxicated. This girl, this girl was a drinker. She was a little bit of a partier, just like all of us were in college. She may have had a pretty high tolerance. And from everything I saw, most of the wine was found in the box. So there's no, there's nothing. It's it's a, it's a big leap to say without a doubt that she was intoxicated. You don't really know. Now another red flag would happen. Uh, approximately a week after she disappeared, uh, Bill and Fred both were interviewed on CNN's American Morning, and they, the family, had expanded their search into Vermont, and they were highly upset that the Haverhill Police Department had not issued and informed Vermont of her disappearance. Now, Even though most missing person cases are handled by local and state police, the FBI joined the investigation 10 days after she disappeared. The FBI interviewed the family from Massachusetts and the Haverhill police chief announced that the search was now going nationwide. 10 days after her disappearance, the New Hampshire Fish and Game conducted a second ground and air search using a helicopter with a thermal imaging camera more tracking dogs, and even cadaver dogs. 
Maura's older sister discovered a ripped white pair of women's underwear lying in the snow on a secluded trail near French Pond Road on February the 26th, but DNA tests found that the underwear did not belong to Maura. Mm. At the end of February, the police returned the items found in Maura's car to her family. And then on March the 2nd, the family checked out of their motel, exhausted from the church, church, exhausted from the search, and Fred would return nearly every weekend and continue searching on his own. Yeah, this, this man, the actions of this man go against my theories because this man, if... if Watch my, 10 seconds of any interview with him. If my theory is correct, which I believe it is, then he was extremely dedicated to keeping it a secret. Because this man goes up there almost every weekend looking for his daughter. He's done every interview trying to find his daughter. This man has devoted his life. And her sister that was also at West Point will not turn down an interview. No. But yeah, I mean, God, this this case, man. <laughs> now, the Haverhill Police Department would inform Fred that there had been some complaints of him trespassing on private property in April of that year. And also in April and again in June, both New Hampshire and Vermont police dismissed any connection between Mara's case and another famous missing persons case. And that one is the Brianna Maitland case. Mm -hmm. They would state that they believe that Mara was headed for an unknown destination and may have accepted a ride in order to continue to that location Location adding that they had discovered no evidence that a crime had been committed. They also dismissed the possibility of a serial killer being involved. Now we get to July of 2004. Police would retrieve items found in Mara's vehicle from her family for more forensic analysis. On July the 13th, a one-mile radius search was performed by nearly 100 searchers that included state troopers, rescue personnel, and volunteers. It was the fourth search around the crash site. It was also the first time that a search was performed without snow on the ground. Authorities were more interested in locating her backpack, but stated that they did not find anything conclusive. In late 2004, a man allegedly gave Fred Murray a rusty stained knife that belonged to this person's brother, who just so happened to have a criminal past and lived less than a mile from where Mars' car was discovered. The man stated that his brother and his brother's girlfriend were said to have acted extremely strange after Mars' disappearance. The man's brother claimed he believed the knife had been used to kill Mora. Several days after the knife was given to Fred, the man's brother allegedly sent his Volvo to the scrapyard. Family members of this man and his brother claimed that he had made up the story in order to obtain the reward money and that the man that made the initial report had a long history of drug use. Now, sidebar, this is nothing new in 
cases that have reward money. And I will reference the West Memphis 3 case. If there's a reward offered in an area where the socioeconomic background is not very high, you will have people coming out of the woodwork trying to claim that reward. Absolutely. That's easy money if people see that. Now, in 2005, uh, Fred would petition the New Hampshire governor at the time, Mr. Craig Benson, to help in the search. And Fred also appeared on the Montel Williams show. On February 9th of 2005, the one-year anniversary of Mara's disappearance, a service was held where the car was found. And her father met briefly with then-New Hampshire governor, John Lynch. And so... In late 2005, on November 1st, as a matter of fact, on a message board called Not Without Peril, which was dedicated exclusively to discussion on Moore's disappearance, a user named Tom Davies is going to log on. He's going to claim to have seen a black backpack behind a restroom at a... Give it. Go get it, boy. I'm glad you're tackling this one. (laughs) Get it. (laughs) (laughs) Pemidji was set overlook about 30 miles from Woodsville where Murray's uh, car was found. Murray had owned the black back, a black backpack, and that backpack was turned over to law enforcement, and they claimed that they were aware of it, but they did not disclose whether or not it had been forensically tested. If you start looking at this case, you will get so frustrated at the lack of any details released from the New Hampshire State Police Department. It will drive you to question your sanity. Mm-hmm. So I think at this point it would be a good idea because that's that's pretty much... An overview of the- overview of the beginnings of the case. I think it'd be important now to go back in time to discuss what happened before the day of the accident, before the disappearance, because Mora's going to act pretty strangely. There's going to be some events happen to her that are going to be pretty. Um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Make her very anxious. There's going to be some anxiety-ridden events that's going to get her. Possibly not in the right state of mind. Anyway, so Murray was at West Point where she did meet her boyfriend, Bill. And she's actually going to get expelled for stealing makeup. Not that big of a deal. But it's a big deal if you're an Army cadet. She was sta- uh, she was studying chemical engineering. She did that for three semesters. And she was having a little bit of trouble there. I personally think that she may have stole the, the makeup in order to get kicked out. Yeah, and if you don't know anything about the military academies, it's after your, it's between your freshman and sophomore years that you step up to the plate. And they have basically given you one year to decide whether or not this is for you or not. Mm -hmm. And it's at that time that you will sign your commitment letter. And we both agree that we feel like she realized in that first year that West Point just was not for her. Mm -hmm. She was, and according to her, I believe it's her sister, Julie, that her and Julie are polar opposites. Julie loves structure, loves the military, loves every aspect of it. Mara was more of a free spirit. Mm -hmm. She liked to come and go as she pleased. And Julie felt like 
that Mara had decided that it just was not for her. And so, like Coach said, we feel like, and a lot of theories out there hinge around this, we feel like this was a, not a, a cry for help, but it was a, a way for her to get out. Now, that's definitely just an assumption. Yes. Now, Julie would state on, I think it's True Crime Garage. That yeah, she did, yeah, she did an interview with True Crime Garage. I think she stated to Captain that she felt like Mara was in the PX and was, like, picking up stuff to purchase and accidentally, like, I don't... I don't know how I feel about this, but basically she stated to Captain that she was picking things up and she had picked up the makeup earlier and then out of habit, it was something small, so she just stuck it in her pocket and then continued to pick up items and forgot that it was in her pocket. That's possible, too. So she is going to transfer to uh, the University of Massachusetts at Amherst where she's going to run track. She was a very, very talented track runner in high school and in college. But three months before disappearing, Murray's going to be admitted. She's going to admit that she had used a stolen credit card in order to to order food from several restaurants. She's going to claim that she found the card randomly. And, you know. Well, if you do any research on this or you've listened to any other, if you've listened to the Missing More Murray podcast, they state that this was not, this was kind of a community credit card. Mm Mm-hmm. Other people had used it to order food, but Maura kind of like saw it as a free ticket and just kept using it. Oh, really? Okay. Well, she's going to get in a little bit of trouble with that, and she's going to get a charge for it. But it was due to be dismissed after three months of good behavior. She was charged in December, three months of good behavior. It was going to be gone in March. She disappears in February. So to say that that's a cause of her disappearance, I I I don't buy it. I don't buy that because, I mean, come on. This is petty crime we're talking about. She ordered food with her stolen credit. She ordered food from a credit card that wasn't hers. She stole a little bit of makeup. In the grand scheme of crime, she ain't Al Capone. This ain't, that's nothing. That's kid stuff that's not going to get you any jail time. They're going to give you a slap on the wrist. Hopefully you learn your lesson. That's not going to be that big of a deal. But uh, on February 5th, 2004, Murray is going to be at work. At her campus security job, she's going to receive a phone call from her older sister, Kathleen. Um, around 10.30, well, on, during that phone call, uh, Kathleen's going to discuss problems with her fiancé. Now, one thing that if you do listen to the interview with Julie on True Crime Garage, Julie states that that phone call, Kathleen had been at a inpatient alcohol rehabilitation program. Correct. And that when her... She just, Piece of shit. Yeah. Husband, fiance picks her up. He has a fifth of liquor in the car. That's not the research I got. The research I got said that it took her to a liquor store on the way home. Either way, Either you're a piece way, of shit. That is not the type of support a recovering alcoholic needs at all. So whether or not he took her to the store or he had it on him, not important. Semantics because you are yeah. a piece of shit. Yeah, exactly. So that's going to cause Murray to have basically an emotional breakdown. She's going to be zoned out, completely in tears, almost unresponsive. And the supervisor is going to find her and going to escort her back to uh, 
to the dorm room. She's going to find her. She's going to say, what's, you know, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong? And the only thing Maura will say is my sister, my sister. And, and if you put yourself in that situation, if you have siblings, you're going, if she, she goes into a rehab, you're relieved that she's getting help, but at the same time, you're still worried about her. And then when you receive a phone call the day that she move or the day she discharges or a day or two after she discharges and she tells you or you your family member tells you that their significant other basically just railroaded the whole thing you're going to be distraught mm-hmm. absolutely absolutely so uh, a couple days later on saturday february 7th uh fred's going to arrive in amherst uh he said they're going to be car shopping because but- he was worried about that Saturn. Yeah, that Saturn's a, it's a Saturn. It's a POS. If you know anything about Saturns, when's the last time you saw a nice ass Saturn? <laughs> Let's just say that. I don't think they, I thought, I think you bought them. I think they came off the line used. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, Side note, I dated a girl in college that had one, and she thought it was the best thing since sliced bread, and I thought it was a piece of shit. They, they, they came off the line. With 450,000 miles on it. <laughs> <laughs> and an off-color door, you know. You got a you got a blue Saturn with a red door right off the line. That's you know right, I mean? baby. So, yeah, they're going to go car shopping. So, he's there. He has what? Doesn't he have 4,000? He has a substantially large amount of cash on him. In the thousands. Yeah. I think it's four. There's... And I know if you're... If you think about it now in 2020, $4,000, you're thinking maybe I can get a used Yugo. You can get a decent, you can probably get a decent, you can get it better than a Saturn. Well, back then in 20, in 2004, for $4,000, you could have upgraded that Saturn to the Taj Mahal. You got two Saturns. <laughs> yeah. You might have got two and a half for four, without red doors. For four grand, you could have got two Saturns. <laughs> uh, so. Fred and her go to dinner with a friend of hers. And they go to the Amherst Brewing Company, I believe. Yes. It's it's a brew pub that if I ever go to Massachusetts again, I went to Boston once, but if I ever get anywhere near Amherst, you bet your sweet bippy I'm going. They go have dinner there. She brings him back at um brings him back to his hotel and then borrows his car, goes to a campus dorm party. She leaves the dorm party about two thirty in the morning. And then about an hour later, on her way back to the motel... Yeah. She's going to wreck. And wreck, we mean she ran off the road and hit a guardrail. Mm-hmm. She's going to cause about $10,000 worth of damage. And back then, you damn near totaled the Corolla. Yeah, for sure. Even though a Corolla saved Coach's life, and it was the most awesome car he's ever owned. Do not <laughs> speak <laughs> ill of that Corolla, bro. Do I not- rolled that thing. Like five times, like Ricky Bobby style, like I'm upside down, this is not good. Like thinking my life was over dislocated collarbone. That's it, because of the seatbelt. And my my left collarbone, I move my arm wrong, that thing pops right out of place. But you know what? I'm alive. He's here. I'm alive because that Corolla saved my life. It was a sweet ride, ladies and gentlemen. There is an accident report, but there is no documentation of a field sobriety test. So there is no DUI. There is no nothing like that. It's simply a car accident. So she's going to drive to the motel. She's going to stay there for the rest of the morning. 4.49 a.m., she's going to place a call to Bill from Fred's phone. And the 
that content of that phone call is unknown. So that's going to, that's a lot in a couple of days. You know, her dad's in town to buy her new car. She wrecks it. Her sister. Her sister just got out of rehab and now she's been, you know, she's dealing with that. that that's a lot of emotional turmoil that she's having to deal with. So it doesn't, it's not surprising that she may be in some sort of mental distress. She's not, maybe she's not processing this correctly. Maybe she's just, she's just fed up. She's had it. And she decides to run away. Maybe. She does pack up all her stuff. Well, later that next morning, she breaks the news to Fred. He learns that she's fucked his car up. He contacts his auto insurance. It's approximately $10,000 worth of damage. And so he rents a car, drops Murray off at college, and then he heads back Mm -hmm. to Connecticut. And Yeah, I mean, Fred is a loving father. I'm certain he was upset. And probably said some things that most fathers would say. Probably, but he reassures her that it's just a car. It's just a car. Insurance is going to take care of it. We'll get through it. It's going to be all right. The only thing that he is very adamant about is he's trying to make sure that she understands she has got to go get the accident forms from yeah. the Registry of Motor Vehicles so the insurance will pay. Which she does. Yes, they're found, in, they her found car. in a car. Yeah. yeah. Going off that information, her action, the things she starts doing are kind of going to be contradictive to me. She goes, before she leaves, she packs up all her stuff. All of it. But she doesn't take it. Why pack it all up if you don't take it? If she's leave if she's purposely leaving forever, she doesn't take it. She packs up all her stuff in her room, but she does take her college textbooks. And if I remember correctly, it was either the end of a quarter or something was coming up for a big exam mm-hmm. in one of her classes. So if you've packed up all your stuff planning to leave school forever, why are you going to take, why are you your, gonna take your homework? Yeah. Why are you going to go study? The whole thing about her emailing her professor saying there's a death in the family. Why did she do that? Why did she do that? Why would she say something like that? Why? Because no one's going to question you. If And that's going to give you a good week that to get your you, shit together. That gives you time. If you just want to get away, you want to go to a condo in New Hampshire for a week and just get hammered drunk. And have yourself a pity party. Have yourself the the best pity party money can buy. With a box of wine, baby. Yeah. No one's going to. No one would know the wiser. Yeah. No one's going to question a death in the family. They're just not going to do it. There's two things people do not question. A death in the family. Explosive diarrhea. Well, that too. (laughs) So there's three things. And the other thing that I was going to state was anytime a man or a woman calls in sick and says, my my baby's sick. Ain't nobody going to question that. No, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, there's, when you do your research on Reddit or whatever, there's going to be a lot of... Um, a lot care, of people... You can't over slick? No, I'm pouring stuff all over myself. A lot of people make a big deal out of her... And we kind of glossed over this, but when they do the search of her room, they're going to access her computer, and I think... She had researched uh, pregnancies or something like that. Really? I had heard something about that. But But she's a nursing student. 
hell, she could have researched drug overdoses. And then we would be talking about, oh, my God, her computer was found and she was researching drug overdoses. Uh, we lose sight of the fact that she's a nursing student and they might just be happening to cover that. Yeah, you never know. You never know. Yeah, I mean, if you go look at my research history today, you'd be like, this dumbass was listening to uh, Fog Hat at work and Justin Timberlake and uh, the band, and uh, we found handwritten notes with ineligible writing. Bro, if you search my home, uh, if you search my phone history on Google... Your FBI agent that's in the van down the road be like, yeah, I tried to tell y'all. <laughs> Bro, don't even get me started. He was looking at fully automatic it's all weapons. Like, I'm talking more of the the perverted stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you be like, bro, this guy, man. But no. <laughs> but think about. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, think about if you're if you just dropped off the face of the earth, things that you take for granted that you look at every day. Those can be construed in a weird manner, a very weird manner. Think about an average day at work. Uh, think about if you are in an office, what do you do when you need a brain break? If you're in front of a computer all day, you get on Amazon and you get lost in searching for stuff. And all of a sudden you research and find, well, hey, I can get six packs of uh, men's underwear for eight bucks. And you're a woman, or there's things that happen that people put a lot of weight into, and it, it's just average stuff that everyone does. But when you go dis, you go missing or you disappear, everything that you did is under the microscope, and questions abound off our little soapboxes. So we've discussed the makeup, the car accident we've discussed her earlier life uh we've talked about her boyfriend if you are interested and don't want to take a deep 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 dive and listen to the missing maura murray podcast which we both highly recommend um i do recommend that you find the oxygen six-part series on this they do a phenomenal job yeah james renner's involved in that and they chased down a lot of things there. And just, and like Coach said, we could we could sit here for 12 hours and not even scratch the surface. So let's get into theories. Well, there's going to be a whole bunch of a whole bunch of theories, man. And the saddest part is, is we cannot we just can't cover everything and we're not going we're not even going to try. Honestly, do your own research. Look into this shit. It's crazy. People so, if you find yourself, that, that's definitely an overview of the, the case. We did not go into as much detail as we could have. If you're thinking to yourself, self, they left out this part. We're sorry. There are, there's definitely a whole lot of stuff that we've left out. We can't stress enough that we could not do this case justice if we started off a pod, a, another podcast titled... Yeah. The boys do the Mar Murray, Missy Mar Murray case. Yeah. I mean, so just give us a little leeway with that if you're thinking this, this, this wasn't our best episode. It probably isn't because there's so much we can't cover, but it's just a case that we are so fascinated with that I literally begged them to cover. 
And we still, like, if there's any traction on this case, we're, like, blowing each other's phones up. Yeah, like, yeah, we'll talk about the, the latest uh, thing that happened this uh, early this week or late last week. There's been a little bit of a development, not as far as clues. Right. But I, I've got a Google alert. Anytime more Murray's mentioned in the news, I get a Google alert every single time. Yeah, there are tons of details. There's tons of clues. There's tons of theories. There's tons of a lot of things that we are not going to cover. And we, I, I know we've said it before, but we just we really want to encourage you to look into this yourself to keep this case going. And because we want more than anything for this to be solved. So let's get into some of the theories of what happened. So why did this? Why did this young girl disappear? And before we start that, I just want to say, you know, we kind of touched on it earlier. Um, a lot of people that were away at college who had family that was a long drive away have stated that her taking a long weekend or taking a week off is not a big deal, that they would go to the nearest big city, rent a hotel room for a couple of days veg out, eat junk food or drink, mm-hmm. just watch TV, just get them get away. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's not that big a deal. All right, with that, let's jump in. All right, the first one that we're going to tackle is she simply just ran away. Okay, for this one, the the evidence that well, she emptied out her bank account which reportedly had $280 in it, so maybe that's why that was the the amount she took out. Um, and then her, her dorm room's packed up. She just ran away. Well, if she ran away, what I would say is, why didn't she take that stuff with her if she truly ran away? And like you stated, why take your damn textbooks? Yeah, exactly. You go, if you're going to run away purposely. I'm going to sell them motherfuckers. Yeah, you take that son of a bitch <laughs> back to the, the the bookstore and sell it for whatever they'll give you. That's your liquor money. Yeah. Um, But this is the one that I'm going to side with, though. I really do think, I, I really think more Murray's alive. I do. I do. She has been cited. In Canada, on several occasions, it's been reported that she's been cited in Canada. Here's the thing, though. What I believe is that Maura Murray is alive. She did run away for whatever reason. Pick one. Pick one. She wanted a new life, and she got one. But I am saying that her family is aware of it. Fred and her sisters are aware that's my theory. So, I think that the cash that Fred brought with him was given to Mora. I think the money that she cleared out of her bank account, and I think she ran away to Canada. That's I, I, that's the first theory, and that's the one I believe. Now, a lot of people would state that you know it just doesn't make sense for the family to cover it up. Blah 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 blah. How could she do that? Listen. I'm not saying that I agree with Coach 100% on this one. And I don't. I I don't. But we'll get into that later. But with that said, she got into West Point. That is a monumental 
achievement. No, this girl is extremely smart. And the, yeah, and like you said, she was studying what chemical engineering yeah. at West Point. Yeah. And then she changes and goes into nursing. And from what I could gather, she was a damn good nursing student. Yeah. She's a smart young lady. Yeah. She is. Very smart young lady. All right. And then the next one we'll touch on is Fred's theory that he has stated numerous times. He feels like she um was taken by someone. And it's not out of the realm of possibility that someone with ill intentions came upon her and did take her. But that leaves, I'm not saying that's not true. It might not be what I believe, but I'm not denying it. But that leaves the unanswered questions of why did she pack up? Why? What about uh, the phone call? What about... Um, all these weird things that she was doing. And then it just coincided with somebody with ill intention. She that, just happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong it's time. It's definitely possible, but wow, that's just the convergence of those, uh, all those events happening. It's just, it's, it's crazy coincidence. But again, she, she took her bag that probably most likely had the alcohol in it because the alcohol wasn't found. She took her credit card. She took everything she needed to run away. And the the dogs, the tracking dogs, stopped dead in their tracks, which indicates she was picked up. And that leads us to the next theory, which is also referred to as the tandem driver theory. Mm -hmm. And that is someone was following Mara, 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 and... The accident actually was an accident. They come up, see that, and decide, all right, to hell with it. That car's a piece of shit anyway. Get in. Let's go. We're going to keep going. Okay. So this is going to be um, James Renner, the author of True Crime Addict. This is going to be his theory that there was a tandem driver. Uh, he's going to say, quote, the only – um, He's going to say, he's going to try to dispel rumors about her being taken against her will by saying, and I quote, The only way this could have happened was if Mora knew the driver and there was no time wasted for conversation. Enter the tandem driver. Who would have been driving ahead of Mora if they were ahead and saw the accident in the rear view and were past Bradley Hill Road? The next place they could turn around was Route 116. It takes approximately seven minutes to drive to Route 116 and back to the scene of the collision. And that seven minutes coincide with... The seven minutes that basically the... So seven minutes there, seven minutes back. That puts it at the exact time. Approximately the exact time it took the police officers to arrive from the phone call by the bus driver. And then they... So you have however long it took the bus driver to get home, make the phone call, then 13 minutes. So there is a very small window for that to happen. And there's like, they break it down in the Missing More Murray... (sighs) podcast to like minute by minute and i think they get down to like there's three or four minutes where the lady across from where the accident's at she's talking to 911 she turns her head she keeps talking she turns back she's gone and so you know there's a there's that window of opportunity there and that's going that window of opportunity leads you to those two theories either a tandem driver or someone came along and picked her up well it could that she didn't know um. So my thought on the tandem driver was, well, maybe it didn't take them that long, and I'm sitting here thinking about it, and well, of course, the bus driver 
came upon the scene with no cars around. So that tandem driver had to be ahead of her, or at least a few minutes behind her. Yeah, either way, there there's a time frame either ahead or behind mm-hmm. that the bus driver doesn't see another car. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense that if it's a guy, if it's a tandem driver behind her, that they would be that far behind. Right. Especially in a, you know in poor driving conditions. So the tandem driver makes sense, but it is got to be a very precise window, like a very precise amount of time. It's, it, there's not a lot of time for error for if that's true. Is the only thing I'm trying to say. Yeah. All right, the next theory is that she ran away to protect her and a secret child. Mm-hmm. That basically, now there's no physical evidence that she was pregnant, but a lot of people speculate that she ran away to protect herself and an unborn baby. And like Coach had stated, uh, James Renner had a blog that he was keeping during this time, and he is in this camp, and he states, quote, she ran away to survive, to protect herself, and if the police are correct, her baby. And talk about a motive to remain quiet for 11 years. Can you get anything better than protecting a kid? What would you do? That's certainly one way to avoid any custody troubles. Now, this is definitely where you're going to have to do your own research about the secret child because we don't have time to go into it. Yeah, because there's a couple of possibilities who it could be. Track coach, Bills, whatever, but I don't see Bill and her having... Yeah, he was stationed, what, Oklahoma, Texas, somewhere in the Mm -hmm. Midwest. I don't see her and him having custody issues. No. I don't see her... If it's his child, the email about I love you too, love you more, stud, and all yeah. that, I don't see her. I, I don't, I don't, again, I don't believe it. It's not what I believe, but I can't, I can't dispel it. I can't, I can't say no because I don't, I don't know. I just don't know. Now, the next one is an anonymous email that uh, James Renner supposedly received supposedly sent by someone from her inner circle that she was escaping a harmful relationship. This is documented very well on WebSleuths. I implore you that if you think this is a possibility and you have not visited those threads, jump on it. Yeah, there's going to be an email sent by someone, quote unquote, someone in Mora's inner circle. The anonymous sender alleged that they spoke to someone in a bar who heard a different version of Mora's disappearance. The email read in part, quote, He then started talking to me about the missing girl who had gone to West Point and then to UMass. I hadn't heard about it at the time, and he explained to me that I now know, to me what I now know is the Mora Murray case. He told me that it was an open secret among people who knew her personally at UMass that she ran off on her own to get away from an abusive relationship. He said that he knew people that knew her and that he that had been, God almighty. <laughs> that knew her and that had been in on the whole thing. Correct. I'll help you out there, Bob. Thank you. I don't believe it. I don't, well, I'm not saying that I don't believe that. And I know that he's had his own issues recently. But I don't think that this abusive relationship is going to be Bill. No. 
I don't think so. Because it's just that email, the the wording of it. I mean, I just don't think that someone's going to say something like that. And again, so much, so much opinion. But and we'll stay on the email. There was another anonymous email that indicated that she was actually buried on a desolate trail. And this is again James reports that he received an email with the subject quote stop looking from Ray Rumau. And if you play around with the letters of that name, you figure out real quick that that spells out Mara Murray. Okay. And it contained Latin lawn. Well. And it was on Mount Kerrigan. And it's actually called Desolation Trail. Now, supposedly, James himself did not go, but he had someone go, and they could not actually get to the coordinates and turn back because of heavy snow. Now, if you listen to Missing Moore Murray or the Oxygen Network, Tim and Lance actually go to some coordinates that were emailed. Yeah. And this may be the same thing. But in the oxygen thing, they actually get to the coordinates and there's nothing there. Yeah. Well, I just I, I, I just want to go back just a, just a step to the first email. And I want to reiterate the reason why I don't think this relationship they're talking about is Bill. Because if the inner circle was in on the whole thing... I promise you, Fred would have been. Fred would have known. And Fred's, Fred and Bill's relationship at the time of the disappearance would have been. Looking back, you would have been able to pick out certain clues exactly. that there was some friction there. And you don't, you don't get any indication no. of that. No, 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 no. At the time, I don't care if my daughter tells me something, and like well, whatever you do, don't let, don't let Bill know. There's I'm no way. Don't his ass. Yeah. And I'm not saying I would stomp Bill's ass. I'm just saying if I had a daughter and she said, I'm in an abusive relationship. Oh, okay. And then I'm going to keep yeah. quiet. Okay. Yeah. Me no. and Bill's going to go look and I'm going to beat his ass. Yeah, it ain't going to happen. But, and I'm just saying Bill as in, and, and, in this situation. But I would say in if I had a daughter, I'm going to find your boyfriend and they, he's going to talk to me and your yeah, uncle. They both, they both look for her together. They both appear on TV shows together. Multiple TV shows. Yeah. They are both... Showing genuine concern and rem- and not remorse. What am I looking for? Um, a- anxiety, I guess, is more rem- not ang- remorse, but ang- they concern anxiety. Yeah. The unknown bothers yeah. them. Yeah, I mean, that's something you can't hide yeah. or you can't fake too. So I think that that is just some, horse shoot. Yeah, somebody's just trying to <laughs> to insert themselves into a case. And just going on. Yeah, I agree with you there. Something they think. The sister on the interview with um, Captain uh, True Crime Garage mentioned nothing but an abusive relationship from Bill. She even dispels all of that. She does, indeed. So that's an awesome interview with her. She seems like a very down to earth lady. And if we did do this in its true justice, we would reach out to her, and from what I can gather, she would be more than willing to talk to us. And so uh, the next one is part of the one I believe. This is another one I believe. That not only did she run away, but she ran away to Quebec. 
Uh, in 2009, a rumor, a rumor began circulating online from a quote-unquote friend of Mora, saying that the missing woman had escaped to Canada. The post made its way onto multiple websites, each with significantly different wording. The statement alleged that close friends and family knew Murray was alive in Quebec. That's what I'm thinking. While some people believe this to be true, other web sleuths are fairly certain the claims are fictitious. Although the theory matches others claiming that she drove up to Canada after she disappeared, others are skeptical that her father would insist she was taken, would not insist she was taken if he knew she left on her own accord. However, it, it is very contradictive that he would continue to drive all the way up there and search and search and search and search and it's for a year for years yeah that first year he was there almost every weekend he was off yeah if he had any free time that first year he was there looking but it is contradictory that he would do something like that if he knew that she was alive and well but maybe he really wanted to hammer home yeah and help his daughter live a different life that's what i believe Again, uh, we're not, you know, one of the reasons we we talked about with the babies, she was involved in a love triangle, and we mentioned the uh, assistant coach of the track team. That's something you're going to have to research on your own. Get into that, because there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, and one thing we will state on this little theory is, according to James Renner, Detectives spoke to the assistant coach of the UMass track team. His his name is Mr. Baghdadi, and he would claim that Murray told him of her impending disappearance during a private conversation. Really? This theory possesses that when Murray disappeared, she was supposedly going to a cabin owned by the UMass Outing Club located in the White Mountains. Reportedly, Baghdadi frequently joined the club on very similar trips. In the Oxygen Network's docuseries, they actually go up there. Again, research this on your own. Do your due diligence and see what you think. The next is that she, uh, she met her end in the woods. She got lost, succumbed to the elements, succumbed to the elements perished from exposure. Yeah, she was, she was intoxicated. She didn't want to do a, you know, didn't want to interact with the police, so she kind of hid, then got cold, and basically fell asleep and never woke up. But in that theory, if that's the case, with as many searches and the dogs and the cadaver this, dogs, that would have been easily this didn't confirmed. Happen. This no, didn't happen. No, it didn't happen. It's possible. That it could have, but here's the thing. There's no evidence to support that. Yeah, they didn't find any There's footprints. No, no footprints. The dogs. And the dogs didn't follow her. Yeah, the if dogs she had walked, they'd have found her. Boom. Dead in their tracks. In the middle of the road. Yeah. So I don't, I don't buy into that one. And if you don't know what we're talking about with the dogs, listen to our uh, Cocaine and Flowers episode. <laughs> This is an odd one I've not heard Real of. Real crazy <laughs> theories. Is that she was actually targeted by researchers at UMass. Local scientists made Mora ingest toxic supplements. Uh, was she using nutritional supplements developed by UMass or Amherst area researchers? Did she perish or get sick as a result of using these supplements? There's no facts to back this up. No. Nothing. 
Now, you could postulate on your own that that's plausible because if she was taking some kind of clinical trial supplements and she decided to drink, there was some adverse reaction. But again, her body would have been found. Mm -hmm. Another weird one is on Reddit, and this Reddit user claims that the police were actually involved in her demise. And according to this one in 2017, the Reddit username Bill underscore Occam made a post alleging that police were involved in her disappearance and quote, we know that cops slay people and that even good cops will cover for them by remaining silent, but cops just can't eliminate anyone they wish and expect the silence to hold. Police follow a code. They are a fraternity of order against chaos. Police believe shady men are on the side of chaos, and when a cop illegally offs one, other cops will often stay silent. But a soft-spoken, pretty 21-year-old, white, middle-class, Irish Catholic girl studying to be a nurse? Police have an affinity for nurses because, like cops, they must clean up the messes that chaos creates. This thread is highly debated around an Amherst conspiracy theory around the police department. But a lot of users destroy this argument. But, and I'm going off memory, so please, I will probably misspeak, but there was a police officer that happened to be working for Haverhill that had a record of picking up women and taking them back to motel rooms and just so happened that he drove a Haverhill SUV, which reportedly by witness A was seen in front of her car. Mm. So that is a, it is one out there that will make you go, hmm, maybe. Now this one may have some legs on it. Then we're going to circle back to one of the weird, when this dropped, Coach blew my phone up. Listen, there is, this is extremely strange. On February 12th, 2012, almost seven years to the day that Maura Murray disappeared on Route 112, on YouTube, an account named 112 Dirtbag posted a video of an anonymous man laughing maniacally in the shadows. And he continues to laugh and laugh and laugh more and more maniacally. And it is blood curdling, to be honest with you. We'll post it on our social media, of course. Can we play some of it right now? Eerie. Oh, no. some spooky stuff and at the very end he's going to wink at the camera it's going to fade to black and happy anniversary is going to be posted at the end very creep 
B. And 112 Dirtbag is the account name again. Route 112 is where he where she disappeared. And Dirtbags is what Fred refers to as people that may have had some hands in her disappearance. Correct. That is insane. And again, you're going to have to look it up. But James Renner is pretty much going to kind of state that he feels like this is a troll. Yeah. Just somebody screwing with him. Not necessarily having anything to do with the family. The family. Okay, so there is a YouTube page that I believe this this asshole has changed his name to, and it's called Maura Murray Loves Me. Please, just trust me on it. It's one video. He used to have three. He's taken two down. I don't know if anyone logged those. I I certainly didn't, and I don't know how to access them. There's only one video. It's only 29 seconds. Please do not go to this page and look. It's nothing that you need to see. I will tell you all about it. I just don't want you to give this asshole any clicks. Any clicks. I've done it for you. But there's a video on there called The End. And it's just 30 seconds long. It's all black for the first part. And then it says, You were too slow. And brings up a map that looks like a first grader drew it. So just trust me. Don't. Don't. And then at the very end. Uh, shows a picture of Mora with the word find on it. Don't give this asshole any clicks. But that is so strange that this guy's trying to do this sort of thing and troll the family or the, or James Renner or whatever he's trying to do. It's sick. And they've supposedly proven he has nothing to do with it. But it's so fucking strange, man. It's so strange. And we we didn't even... You know, we, they finally, the family finally got to search the A-frame house, look up the A-frame house. Nothing really conclusive came from that. They find in the Oxygen Network docuseries that we've referenced a hundred times in this, they find in the house, in a back room, what appears to be blood. They take the carpet and the paneling out. They have it tested, and it comes back that it was animal blood, and it was yeah. kind of a dead end. And then they search the the mountain condo that the that UMass owns. They don't really find anything there. One of the other theories was that she was buried under a concrete slab in a home up there. So that Fred and a lot of people petitioned the new owners to allow them to dig. They go in and dig. Cadaver dogs had hit on an area. They go, and they can't find anything yeah it's just so strange man so okay let's uh i mean i i truly just want to keep going and i know that i will fully admit that this not this is four percent if that if that of the information out here on this but let you know my theory i've stated it over and over and over again mora if you hear this mysteriousbrews at gmail please prove that you're alive we will keep your secret i just want to know for myself it'll just help him sleep it it will it would be the greatest thing in the world i swear on everything i own and believe and hold dear that we will keep your secret if you will just let us know that you're alive 
What's your theory, sir? My theory is the it, it it's a hybrid of the tandem driver. I believe someone was following her up there and they were going to spend the weekend together. But the person following her had some other ideas that kind of got out of hand maybe during that weekend and she ultimately perished and they had disposed of a body and she is no longer with us. I'm not on the serial killer bandwagon, but I I do lean toward her meeting with foul play. That and I won't go into, you know, a long drawn out thing with that, but unfortunately, you know, I believe that she met with foul play and is no longer alive. And unfortunately, there's no closure for the family. There's no closure for anyone in her, quote, inner circle. And the reason I hang my hat on this is if you watch the interviews with Fred throughout the years, the amount of distraught in that man's face and how many times he breaks down and how many times he interviews with people, I just don't think that he could hold on to a secret of her being alive and fake that emotion. And that's just my personal opinion. So there you have it. We agree to disagree because I see his side of it with her starting over. And it it does make a lot of sense, you know. And if, if for some reason evidence comes out that state that, you know, that is, I mean, more plausible or that actually happened, you know, I'm... I would love for her to be alive, just for the family's sake. If she is alive, and I'll I'll chase this for a second, if she is alive, I don't think the family knows. I really don't. I want them to. I want them to know that she's okay. That's my thing. And that's, I guess, going back to the, they're genuine, and I really do feel like that is a genuine emotional response every time they talk to the family about her. That would lead me to believe that if she is alive, she didn't tell anyone. She just vanished. Mm. All right, boys and girls. Like we've said, we scratched the surface on this case. We hopefully are leading some people to this case. And you do your own research. But let's get into recommendations. I recommend any and everything about this everything just google Moore murray start looking into it she's worth the time she's she needs to be found there needs to be closure the reason go ahead with, go ahead with your recommendation and then i want to tell you we're going to talk about all where. right my recommendation is if you like true crime and you are looking for something new, and you have Netflix, that you watch The Investigator, a British crime story on Netflix. It has two seasons. Uh, both seasons are four episodes long, so you got eight total. There's some very interesting cases that they cover in those two cases, or two episodes, seasons, whatever. It's real 
real interesting about some British true crime going on. A couple of cases hopefully we have in the wings, and we'll touch on a couple of those later. But if you're looking for something new in the true crime world, I highly recommend that uh, series. Again, it's called The Investigator, A British Crime Story. It's on Netflix. The floor is yours, Mr. Coach. Well, the reason why we're so adamant about this and the reason why I want this to be solved so badly is, again, this was the... Patient zero for us. Yeah, it really was. Um, It was right at the time. um, Right at the time of social media. Just for a frame of reference... With the day Mora disappeared, disappeared, Facebook was five days old. Okay, so it's going to be claimed that it is the first crime mystery of the social media age. It generated speculation from the media and the public, significant specifically on the internet and online forums and message boards. Uh, in 2014, Bill Jensen, writing for Boston Magazine, noted: "Now, at least online, it often seems as there is no such thing as a cold case. But when Mora Murray disappeared, the social web was in its infancy." There was no YouTube. There was no Twitter. On the day Mora went missing, Facebook was five days old. And so you can read the history of her case as a parable about the evolution of online sleuthing. And that's 100% true. Yeah, James Renner started a blog, wrote his book. Uh, The Miss Mora Murray podcast begins. Um, True Crime Garage is in its infancy. And they even state this is a case that got them started in true crime as well. And again, Bill Jensen states... On the internet, Mora's disappearance is the perfect obsession, a puzzle of clues that offers a tantalizing illusion. If the right armchair detective connects the right dots, maybe the unsolvable can be solved. And so every day, the case attracts new recruits, analyzing and dissecting and reconstructing the details of her story with a Warren Commission-like fever. And the crowd, I mean, this is really the first crowdsourcing case. You know, this is what got people on web sleuths. This is Probably one of the reasons WebSleuths was started. Yeah, it was reason Reddit. Yeah. Places like that. I mean, it's, you're going to see. Um, Just go to Reddit and type in Mara Murray in the search. You talk about threads, boards. There's there's probably 25 boards out there yeah. with different aspects of it. And, I mean, and honestly, when we said at the beginning, honestly, at, there was a point in time in our lives where our wives were completely fed up. With us obsessing about this. Yeah, my wife went on at one point. It was like one in the morning, and I want to say we were teaching together. Mm-hmm. Um, and she told me she was like, "You're gonna have to stop listening to that damn podcast at night. You're staying up too late, mm-hmm. and you're coaching, mm-hmm. and you're trying to teach." And I'm like, "You don't understand." I mean, I was addicted, dude. I was I was deep in the rabbit. This, I want this case to be solved. I want answers. There are so many people invested in this, and I do think that someday it will be solved. I hope so. I really do. Um, it Just on a personal note, it's gotten to the point with me, if it's not coach, if it's not uh, someone that, that knows that I lost myself for six to eight months on this case, you know, I, 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 when someone brings it up, I just, I just preface it with, look, I, ca- I can't. I cannot get into this again. I can't, I can't do it, you know, and especially now, I mean, you know, we both listen to other podcasts, um, in the car, on the way to work, free time, stuff like that. Um, another big case that, that I've 
really just started following, but I know I can't I can't get into it a lot. But I like hearing other people talk about it. Is West Memphis Three? That's another case that in its well, not, I wouldn't say in it, its beginnings. I would say when they took the Alfred plea, I think that exploded on social media too. But social media was seven or eight years old by then. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah. Well, the West Memphis Three is slightly different because it was it blew up in the public eye, not just on the internet. You know, like Eddie Vedder, Natalie Maines. Eddie, I didn't realize this until this week. Eddie Vedder took. Um, not Miss Kelly and not Damien. Who's the other one? Jason Baldwin. Jason Baldwin. He took Jason Baldwin to his like little compound up mm-hmm. in the Midwest, and and Baldwin stayed there for like eight or nine months and worked for Vetter. Eddie Vetter was in the was in the courtroom when they took the Alfred plea. Yeah, like he was that. He's that involved. They, I want to say when they get in the van, Eddie Vetter's in the van with yeah, all I, three I, of them. I almost. I, I I I think you're right. But but again. Anything involved with this case, go look into it. Lose yourself in it. She deserves fresh eyes. Fresh eyes. Yeah, someone's going to figure this out. And you know, and that, and and kind of like, um, and the reason I brought it up is towards the end of if you if you have been keeping up with the West Memphis Three case, um, Truth and Justice podcast did a whole season on it, season five, and then he did a. Uh, Oxygen Network docuseries. It was a. It was actually supposed to be like four episodes, but they cut it down to two two-hour episodes. Um, and he employs everyone at the end of it to not let this case die. That the three, what he calls the the miss the forgotten West Memphis three, the three boys, they deserve justice their families deserve justice i think this case is the same way whether you believe that she's alive whether you believe she met with foul play her family deserves if they truly don't know that she's alive her family deserves and i don't want to you know weaken or downplay it with the word closure but they deserve an answer they deserve answers to their questions you know, they deserve a place to go memorialize her. So with that said, we have rambled on. Um, this is more of a snowballing episode for us. We're just off the cuff in this. We didn't have to do a lot of research because we had done it for so long. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you have stuck around with us for our 50th episode and and, and look forward to many more episodes because, you know, whether or not we lose followers or not, we're going to keep doing this because, hey, why not? Gives us a good excuse to get together and drink beer. So with that said, Coach, do you have anything else? I sure don't. Well, ladies and gentlemen, from the 50th episode, we would like to say with all due respect. Oh, before I get to it, we were thanking people. I want to personally thank Kylie's Corner. We've not rep- referenced her, but she was a big start in this. Um, and Meth Mouth Judy. <laughs> Judy, if you're still listening, we still love you. And with that said, deuces. deuces.